Hi, and thank you for tuning in to Compound Performance Radio. We're your hosts, Matt Domney and Kyle Dobbs. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Compound Performance Radio. Today with us, we have Mike DeMille. Mike, thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to take a moment to introduce yourself to the audience who may not have heard of you yet. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on so much, guys. Um, I've been friends with Kyle for a while. Um, I met Matt more recently, and I'm so happy to be on here. So I am a physical therapist. I'm in the Boston area. I'm in a town called Wellesley, Massachusetts. Um, I've been a physical therapist in this area for the last four years. And my story started very similar to other PTs that you might know. I have been a baseball player my whole life. I had some throwing, shoulder, pitching-related injuries when I was younger. And then I went to Springfield College where I was studying pre-physical therapy and kind of had that six-year combined shortened degree. So I was able to get my degree in a short amount of time. But while I was there, I was learning a lot from the baseball performance side of things. So in Massachusetts, Eric Cressy is definitely the popular, most well-known, most well-understood name. And his gym was in the process of growing at the same time that I was starting to learn physical therapy. So it was this really cool kind of hybrid combined strength conditioning, uh, learning experience outside of the classroom, and then physical therapy learning experience inside the classroom. So he was kind of a cool resource that I knew him and everyone that went to Springfield, it seemed like was a Cressy intern at some point. And since a lot of them were baseball players, I was inside of that baseball community. Um, I was inside of the physical therapy community at Springfield. And at the same time, Pat Davidson was a professor at Springfield. And I didn't take any classes with him per se, um, but he was in the exercise science department at Springfield. So I learned and I started to learn a lot about PRI, uh, the Posture Restoration Institute, through kind of the osmosis of um, Pat Davidson and a lot of interns that were doing some really unique internships outside of Springfield. And the physical therapy department, even though it's primarily a physical therapy school of thought, um, we didn't talk a lot about PRI. We didn't talk about the Institute. Um, we didn't talk a lot about the neurological applications to orthopedic cases. It was very much like you'd learn about neuro through patients that had strokes and patients that had Parkinson's and spinal cord injury, which was fantastic and very useful knowledge. But we didn't talk a lot about strength conditioning. Um, we didn't talk a lot about the neurological implications to someone with an orthopedic injury or chronic pain. So I was learning these kind of paralleled, but also sometimes juxtaposed worlds at the same time. So by the time I got through grad school and got out of grad school, I would basically have my PT coursework you know, in class, which was very didactic and which was incredibly helpful. And then I would have this continuing education coursework that I was doing outside of the classroom at the same time, which is when I started to go to more of the PRI courses and think about the kind of clinician that I wanted to be when I graduated from college. And towards the end of my career, I had been friends, or I guess towards the end of my schooling, I had been friends with um, a strength conditioning coach who was a Cressy intern and who was PRI savvy at the time. Sam Sturgis, who is working at this facility, Pure Performance Training in Needham. And Pure Performance was looking for basically a performance physical therapist who 
had some of this PRI and kind of other related rehabilitation knowledge, but also had a background in strength conditioning, um, someone who is a former athlete. So I knew Sam because of the Springfield College connection. I met him in grad school and I was still an athlete myself and I kept in touch with him. I was at Pure Performance as a client. So by the time that I graduated from PT school, it was the perfect opportunity to combine what they were looking for with the kind of setting that I wanted to work in with like this parallel, um, but also very different and not always, I didn't always see these two different worlds of strength conditioning and rehabilitation and PRI specifically applied together. So I had the perfect opportunity to work at a facility that was looking for someone who did that. Um, so I started in that setting as my first job out of PT school, and I had been there for three years. And then in this past year, um, I looked to expand just my own clinical interest. And I've since moved on from pure performance, and I recently started my own facility. Um, and that's where I find myself now in Wellesley, in the process of growing a PT practice, using this combined approach, um, meeting tons of other professionals that are using this combined approach, kind of appreciating the nuances of how our field changes, uh, which I love the way that you guys both talk about that on a regular basis. And I'm trying to apply these things in a business setting and in kind of a community setting that I've learned about and loved for so many years and I couldn't be happier going through it. Awesome. That that was one of the better intros we've had. That was yeah. usually people go like super short with it. Yeah. And don't give us much information. Then we have to like draw more information out of We're it. We're both like sure. scrambling going, oh, okay, well, what else are we going to do with this now? <laughs> we got to, we got to, we have to ask more questions. No, yeah. uh, no, I think that that's, that's an amazing story. Cause I, I wasn't aware of much of that either. I think, you know, and we've known each other now for, for four or five years and, you know, it's, it's funny. I was actually telling Matt before the podcast started, like my initial uh, introduction to you was you almost killing me in a dodgeball game on the beach in, in uh, Costa Rica. You know, when, I remember that. I, I sometimes have it, flashbacks of that. I feel very badly. Dude, would, I, would I tell you that, that Mike, <laughs> Mike threw a dodgeball, probably like upper 70s, like right oh my at my head. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even yeah. dodge it. It just like skimmed my ear and I didn't the, even see it coming. And it would have like, I would still have the imprint, I think, on my <laughs> from that ball if it would have actually hit me. It scared the absolute crap out of me at the time. The only thing I can say is that I'm disappointed that you were not hit by not that ball that, in the that, face because that would have greatly changed your personality and I would be <laughs> suffering the way that I'm suffering with you now. It would have. It would have humbled me down in a major <laughs> Yes, it would have. There's like a little tail on those dodgeballs. So it we're, did. We're getting up to Kyle's level and it just sailed right it, over the Man, I, I just like, I heard it go past me. Like I saw it at the last second. <laughs> those are always the worst moments in time when somebody throws something at you if somebody throws something at you and you just hear it you don't even know that it's happening and you're just like oh god i would have died that yeah, would have ended me it was a really weird experience because like that so that was the that might have been the last time i was down in costa rica actually because it was like kind of pre-covid and before like yeah. all of it kind of ended now it's starting back up but it was a weird thing where we were playing like dodgeball and we were playing like ultimate frisbee and we were doing all these other games and then we were doing like mass like 2040 like terribleness 
Mm-hmm. But it's like playing dodgeball with a group of like pretty much all athletes, but you immediately can like pick out the people who know how to throw stuff. Yeah. Like, like it's a whole different skill that some people just don't have. Like I can throw okay, but it's like, I can't throw like Mike. It's not even close. And then you have people that you're like, oh yeah, that guy's a, like, that's a really good athlete. And then you watch him throw and you're like, whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, they can't do anything. <laughs> like, whoa, what just <laughs> happened there? Uh, you, you can't move your arm. Like, what actually happened with that? Um, I, guess, I guess that would lead into, like, some rotational competency, you know, questions for, for a lot of people. But it was yeah. definitely an interesting experience, like, with that whole thing. Um, but, yeah, I, I just thought that was funny. Because anytime I, I think about URCU, like, that – like little PTSD moment is actually what comes to mind where I'm like, he almost ended my life on a, on a random beach in Costa Rica, Dominica. Well, there is no intention behind the throw. I'm sad to say that I have not played dodgeball since that day, which is very unfortunate. I think in general, we do not play enough dodgeball or otherwise like backyard games in our lives. Uh, I would agree, I with, agree that. with that. I would agree with that. I, I, I will say that my old one of my old managers at my old job in New Jersey used to make us play dodgeball as like a staff development time. And it was the most fun that we would ever have <laughs> all year round, every Wednesday, dodgeball, 2 to 3 p.m. Fantastic so when, time. When I was in the corporate gym world, it, we had uh, every month we'd have like our manager meetings and we'd go to like do something different. Right. So one of them, we actually went and played dodgeball uh, in, in the city. Uh, it, uh, like what it's called like West side piers, but it's like this huge, like kind of recreational complex on the West side of Manhattan and, or Hudson pier, sorry, on the Hudson river. And one of, well, my manager at the time I was an assistant manager, but my manager at the time actually blew her knee out like just straight nice. ACL MCL tear uh, playing dodgeball. And oh we gosh. never got, we never got to go again. <laughs> and, and she was like a former, like she played basketball at Penn state like she was like a really good athlete and just like a random thing, like dodging a ball, oh, landing no. funny. Non-contact. Sometimes you got to sacrifice it all to win. Oh man. It was awful. Like, it, like everybody just, it's like the records like stopped in the room. We're all just like, <gasps> <laughs> yeah. it's like slow motion. Everybody saw it. And that is a sad story. Yeah. I feel like there's a, a direct correlation between the the decline of our society and the softness of the dodgeballs that we use in a regulation this, dodgeball yes. mess. Like yeah. when I was and in banning dodgeball school, in general. Yeah, well, well, dodgeball in general. But like when I was in elementary school, you had this kind of hard rubber. Oh, yeah. Those are the best. Yeah. It hurt. And it kind of went to like a bigger, slightly softer kickball shaped thing. And then when I got to high school, there was like this soft foam, awful dodgeball that just could not do any damage you could not throw well it was it's like i don't know they might start using oh and and now they use like those noodles that you hit people with it's just uh it's a disaster we're just not on a good trajectory we're just throwing clouds at people that's basically what we're rolling with now (laughs) it's like those those foam balls that no matter how hard you throw them they don't weigh anything and they just float and all you get out of it the next day is like a really sore arm that's right (laughs) you throw it as hard as you can at somebody's face and they just go Thanks, I'll take that. And then just catch it very easily. Catch it out of the air. Slowly reach out and grab it. Everybody loses. You just just aim at people's feet and hope for the best. (laughs) That's the only strategy. Uh, So, because this is recent, so I definitely want to touch on this, is 
you just like opened your own place. You know, you mentioned it succinctly, but like, that's a big deal. You know, we always want to talk about that because we do have a lot of, you know, listeners who probably have aspirations of opening their own facilities or opening their own, you know, clinics if they're in more of the clinical realm. And so anytime we get somebody on, like we, we want to touch on that just because like, that's an experience. Right. And, and I think, you know, just giving more insight into like how you, like when you knew it was the right time to move into your own thing, how you made that decision, the, the work that went into it and the preparation that went into it. Cause I know there was a lot of that. And then just like from a vision perspective, like what you see moving forward. Uh, I, I think that would be just kind of an awesome little tangent to go on as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So when did I first start to know? That's a good question because it probably happened like very much in the back of my mind early on, Mm -hmm. but I also worked at a company where there was a lot of potential for growth. Mm -hmm. So like taking the transition from just being kind of a very involved employee in the company that I was at had a lot of ownership with it. Um, So I would say the biggest thing from that perspective is I was in a personal training environment that also happened to employ physical therapists. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where it was clear that not only was physical therapy a way and being a clinician was a way that I could help the company, but also whether it was through the education of students or being in the community and having friends that were also like-minded physical therapists that we could bring on, you know, there was this building the physical therapy aspect of the, of the company that was this new role that I was starting to develop. Um, and I had a plan and a trajectory to continue to develop that and hire more physical therapists, um, basically for as big as we could expand. And then when it got to a level where logistically we could not continue to hire people, um, that was when I ultimately had to decide to go out on my own. And it's a unique, it's a unique setting because in physical therapy, you have this division between the in-network practitioners that are usually very overworked, that are working, you know, 50 plus hours a week. They have 30 minutes with their clients, Mm -hmm. their patients, whatever you want to call them. I call them clients. Um, And they get incredibly burnt out. And I had the luxury with the unique setting that I was in where I never had to deal with that. I was completely out of network or cash-based where you're getting paid out of pocket and then your patients can file for out of network reimbursement secondarily. Um, I didn't have to deal with that part of it. So I was never in this in-network kind of mill PT setting. Um, But I also realized that there were not many out of network settings that existed and the out of network settings that existed were not maximizing what they could do. So if you're seeing like an incredibly specialized, uh, pelvic floor physical therapists, for example. They're doing incredibly high level pelvic floor PT. They've had a lot of training in that area and that's what you go see them for. And that's what you, you know, pay the extra money upfront to see them for. But there was such a high demand for someone who wanted to see a physical therapist, do their rehabilitation, get out of pain, and then also transition to a personal training strength conditioning environment have it be not about physical therapy at all anymore and just see a personal trainer that they felt like could also keep them out of pain. And I was doing this enough times with enough clients where my schedule was starting to become full just with personal training clients. And I didn't see many new physical therapy clients. So the only way that I could grow from there was to then teach the model that I was using, you know, teach the 
sales tactics, teach the communication strategies to other people that were also physical therapists to get the people in the door that were coming to see someone for their pain, but then also transition people to a performance kind of strength conditioning um, setting and then keep them as clients forever. So there was this very clear uh, missing piece in the industry that I felt like myself and other people that I knew that were like me could fill. And these other physical therapists that I knew, their talents were not being maximized at all in the settings that they were in. So it would be the kind of thing where you'd see your PT for 30 minutes because the place that they worked at, that's all that they would allow for. And then your client would either still have an issue or you know, want to work on getting back to running their 5K or squatting or whatever. And their time got cut off. Insurance was no longer going to cover it. Um, and then they would be done and you could no longer work with them. But everybody in the community that I knew knew both sides, knew the strength conditioning and the PT side, but was unable to logistically use both sides and they just weren't being taken advantage of. So the clients were asking for this service and they couldn't get it. The PTs were looking to provide this service and didn't have a platform to do it. So that's what we're trying to create here. Very cool. So you have, and real quick, like shout out to uh, Adam Vogel also. He's the owner of Pure Performance and he's, mm-hmm. he's a great dude. So I, I also just want to give him props too. Um, but so you have, you currently have one employee or do you have more? I'm trying to think yeah, about actually, this, what I've seen on social media. Yeah. So I have one PT right now mm-hmm. and this is being, well, this is being filmed at the end of August. Our next PT is starting September 1st. So okay. the so world is on the tip. Yeah, so we have two, um, yeah, and we're kind of uh, building a, a system out from that, kind of hiring people at different times, depending on a few different metrics. But, um, you know, the plan is to continue to hire one at a time of this hybrid professional, um, certainly opening, open to hiring other maybe strength conditioning coaches in the future or LMTs or some other things mm-hmm. that we might need. But, but that's where we're at right now. Very cool. Very cool. Well, congratulations on that. That's a huge step, you know? So yeah, absolutely. And that's a really cool model too. the, the shared PT and personal training as well to just work on uh, making sure that you number one are able to keep the clients in as a business owner, you can keep the business as long as humanly possible, but number two, you can have as much of an impact on the people's lives as humanly possible as well. So it ends up being a nice little double win because one of the things that I've always dealt with as a, um, as a strength coach and as a, as a personal trainer, when I was doing in-person personal training was trying to find a network of physical therapists that I personally trusted who would be trying to refer clients to me in addition to me referring clients to them. Okay. So for you guys to have that all under one roof, I think that's a really cool opportunity for anybody who's looking to get into strength coaching or looking to get into physical therapy because it just builds that network immediately. Yeah, absolutely. And a thing that I, that really aggravates me, maybe I should save this for later, but. I know, don't, don't really jump the gun on this. Um, we'll probably have enough to talk about this. So. Yeah, there'll be more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> is, is the kind of model, and I don't want to like disparage anyone, but chiropractors were famous for the model of you crack someone back into place. They kind of slowly get into more pain over the course of the next mm-hmm. week or month, and they have to come back in to get oh, treated yeah. again. And I think a lot of physical therapists find themselves stuck in that because you need to justify the value of what you're doing. So you're using a lot of fear mongering tactics Mm -hmm. to keep someone coming back. And it's so much better for both the practitioner and the client 
if you don't have to do that and say, hey, why don't you just come in for regular personal training? So if at the end of someone's kind of client life cycle, if I'm essentially writing their program, keeping them company, you know, counting their reps, helping them with the weights, and they don't need me for biomechanical correction, I think that's like the ultimate sign that everybody involved has kind of done what they're supposed to do. Yeah, it's, it's like a, it's a built-in bridge system, right? It's like a built-in return to play where you just, you know, slowly over time, probably without the, co like the client even realizing it, like you're just going from like PT into progressive training, you know? And I, I think that's kind of that ideal situation where, again, like we're all familiar, I think with that kind of, I want to say it's old school. I always hope it's old school, but it's probably also very current, but that, that kind of like repeat customer, you know, model where, where, you know, and, and Cairo is definitely, I think, and again, just like any other realm there, there's good and bad. Right. But, you know, trainers have done this too. Like the corrective exercise craze has definitely spurned a lot of this where clients maybe aren't getting the strength or capacity adaptations or the weight loss or, or some of the other things maybe they came from because they're like on the ground foam rolling for like 40 yeah. minutes of a session or something of that nature. Right. Where like, that's something that I used to see all the time. And I mean, I, I grew up training wise in like the, the NASM and FMS realm. So like the, the SMR stretch activate thing was, it was a big deal. Right. Uh, but we would see that for like 30 minutes of a hour long session. It's like, Oh, well we didn't actually train that much. Right. We just did like a little bit of lower level, like mobility work, quote unquote. So you see it everywhere, you know? And, and so I definitely don't want to point to one, one realm as being right. more so than the other, but, but I like, I love the idea of something where it's just like, Hey, this, this organically can transition from, okay, you're coming to me like post-injury or post-surgery or whatever, post-rehabilitative. And then we're just transitioning you into strength training, but it's such a blurred line because we're combining, you know, it's a continuum. Like we're combining elements of everything in every session Right. That it's like, you know, six weeks later, eight weeks later, whatever, we're just strength training, right? Yeah. And it, this whole thing happened. There's no, you know, I, I just think even from like a psychological perspective, like client efficacy and things like that has to be like much higher, I right. would think in that scenario as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. And with the setting that we're in, um, and with a lot of the clients that we get, because we're affiliated with PRI. Mm -hmm. And usually people that are signing up for PRI PT have oftentimes been to other PTs before, have tried other means of getting themselves healthy before, and have had a hard time finding success. So to come into our setting and, you know, to see the weight and to see other people exercising and to realize that, yes, we're, we're skilled in this ability to help you with chronic pain, but there's also an end game of taking back some empowerment and power uh, in your life, I think is very reassuring for a lot of people that have been in chronic pain for a long time um, and showing them that they might not be as broken or asymmetrical or as dysfunctional as they might realize. And yes, we might use some different tools to get you out of pain, but that is certainly not the goal to leading a healthy functional life. Yeah, no, I like that a lot, especially with the, the, the portion that you mentioned about working on re-empowering clients to get back to play and return to play as quick as possible. Um, that is one of, the, one of the biggest traps that I've dealt with as a, as a coach, sending people to physical therapy for either issues that happened during training or issues that were unrelated to training is that they're 
physical therapist starts beginning, like starts to take the approach of, well, you just can't do this anymore. And the fact that you guys are like, I, I personally have a client of mine who, uh, who I still train in person who herniated a disc in his back like seven years ago (laughs) and is his practitioner at the time literally said this, these exact words to him. You will never be able to deadlift without pain again. Like literally said those exact words to him. And we've been working for three years on trying to undo that mindset. And the fact that you guys are just going to be doing it uh, right away by having people lifting and training and doing everything at the same time is an awesome thing because there's not enough practitioners that do the right thing and choose the right verbiage with the clients that they're looking at. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I try my best to take away a lot of the kind of medical connotations that going to a physical therapist can have. Um, and I, I want people to be able to let loose as much as possible for the exact reason that you mentioned. Um, the most, the, so the most recent PRI course that I took is their forward locomotor movement course and a concept that they used, I forget what the reference is, um, but they talked about something called paradoxical intention which is basically the, the means of putting someone in the environment that makes them the most fearful and then completely exposing that to show them that they actually should not be as worried or as scared or as fearful as they might be. And that is really the biggest means that we can use to help someone feel better. So like with the yeah. deadlift example, if that client is deadlifting, you know, 300 pounds, a crazy amount that he never thought would be able to, he thought his spine would explode that's where the true recovery kind of neurologically and physiologically is going to take place. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that, see, that's something that I, I'm huge on, right. And just again, from a psychological perspective and, you know, obviously like pain science is a super murky, like super complex, just realm in general, right. Because there are, it's so multifactorial, but like a lot of what we look at when, like when we see our clients and a lot of the things that, even through my education and some of the other things I've done is it's just like, you look at stimulus and a lot of it is just like, it's novelty or it's threat response. And if we can start accumulating repeat exposures and positive, you know, outcomes through those repeat exposures, that threat response, you know, goes down, the novelty goes down. And Mm -hmm. now we're talking about more, you know, increased familiarity and maybe even more of like an increased anticipatory response rather than a threat response. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that's something, I mean, that's what training is, right? Like that's progressive overload. We're just talking about it in a different realm. Uh, But that that's kind of what any type of periodization program is or graded. It's just everything we do is graded exposure, right? And sometimes we're talking about pounds on a bar, Sometimes we're talking about calories on an assault bike or distance or something of that nature. And sometimes we're talking about exposures to threat, you know, from that perspective. And and I think that's something that a lot of coaches kind of miss out on is they, they see it in the very obvious examples of, you know, putting another pin on the plate for the chest press, but they don't necessarily see it in some of these other realms where it's just like, Hey, like we just need to give this person some confidence. Yeah. And more exposures, you know, within that. And even coming back from my own injuries, like when I hurt my knee, you know, it's the fear getting back on a basketball court. Yeah. Right. But then the first time that you, you jump and you land funny and you don't like hurt yourself and you pop back up, you're like, Oh, okay. I got this. This isn't so bad. Like I can probably do this again. You know? So it's just like, you have to be exposed back to that thing or, or you're going to be kind of forever in fear of it. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. And um, so it reminds me of a few things. Uh, one thing is a conversation that I had with my wife um, who works in nutrition a few weeks ago. And she sees the same- Shout out Aaron, because Aaron's awesome. Shout out Aaron Murray. We we want to have her on. We want to have her on as well. So she's she's on our list. She is literally the best. Uh, My clients and I were laughing last week because she'll post a lot of Instagram stories of like what she's cooking for dinner. So when I finish work, I get into my car and I'm like, if I look at my phone, I literally get a trailer, like a commercial for the dinner that I'm about to eat when I get home. <laughs> literally, it's the most epic thing ever. It has like a song and it has a filter on it. And I don't think anybody else has that, has that kind of VIP experience. It's a, that's it. A, that's a, I just get like jealous and hungry when I see your stories, <laughs> but you're like, oh yeah, like I'm, I'm going home to eat that. That looks It's crazy. the greatest thing that's ever. That is mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we were having a conversation about her clients and this exact same thing happens in nutrition, Mm -hmm. where you either have people that have had food sensitivities or have been on meal plans or have gained weight, and they have this incredibly narrow road of what they feel like they can do. And when I see a lot of people for the first time, it's a very specific kind of tailored to them intervention because their road of what they can do is so small. And then by the time they get to the end of the process, if they're doing something that looks like what everybody else is doing and they're not as unique and special and we don't have to get specific to give them, you know, the results that they want, that's usually a good sign of their progress and getting that buy-in incredibly early on through whatever means that you use um, as a rehab professional or strength conditioning coach is incredibly important. And one thing that I have, one thing that I was very against doing that I've started doing more is, really accepting and working with a lot of the biases that the client has when they come in. So for example, if I see a lot of people that are looking to me for PRI, when people would come in, I would never say you're asymmetrical. I would never say your right side's different from your left because I didn't want to perpetuate this faulty language. But now when people see me for the first time, um, I will do it. I will go along with the story that they're coming in with and say, yeah, you know, if we get this left side to be able to rotate better and smoother, then you're definitely going to get out of pain. And I know that it's not as simple as that. And anyone that's ever taken a PRI course or taught a PRI course knows it's not as simple as that. But I will do that with the realization and expectation of then deconstructing that, you know, a few weeks down the line. And being able to get on the same page with the client, even if I don't think the information is always 100% true, can help widen someone's road quicker compared to what I was doing before, which was almost like being rigid in what I thought was open-mindedness, which was just connecting with not, not a lot of people. You weren't destroying their paradigms like on the first time meeting them. Everything you know is wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, right. There's a con- you have to, the best clinicians are incredibly masterful with when they mm-hmm. violate someone's expectations yeah. and create that paradoxical, you know, addressing someone's fears. There has to be a certain amount of trust there before you can do that. Right. I mean, we see that in training too. Like when, when people come in with like, you know, goal selections, you know, and, and sometimes you'll have somebody with a goal selection that you're just like, we're not going to say it's impossible, but we're going to say it's yeah. probably improbable. You right. know, and again, not more so based usually on somebody's lifestyle and just like, hey, if you're like a 45 year old parent of three with, you know, a full time job, like, 
there's some goals that you probably just don't have enough time to dedicate to training to realistically hit right from just yeah. like a elite performance perspective, you know, maybe or something like that, but you don't tell that to somebody in the consultation and just like, no, that's impossible. Right. You say you're going to work towards it. Right. Yeah. And, and oftentimes as you begin the training process with somebody, they realize within the first couple of weeks or the first couple of months that like maybe they maybe they didn't have a realistic goal on setting just simply because they they don't have enough expertise in the subject matter right like so so as they go through kind of that immersion process of training they're realizing like oh okay like i might not run a 230 marathon when i've never ran 3 miles you know straight before like that's that's cool like i can realize that but can I get something else out of the training that I'm doing right now that I really enjoy? Can I set a more realistic marker? Can I just maybe fall in love with the training process and really learn to like it without setting like this long-term performance goal or something like that? And those are people that, you know, kind of like end up like making those decisions and figuring those things out on their own without you necessarily having to like shoot down their dreams and be that, be the person to, to kind of flame them out at the very beginning. And, you know, I've definitely in my, in my younger years, similar to what you're saying, like, you know, <laughs> sat down in consultations and been like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen, but we can do this. And people just like, look at you, like you, you know, you, you kick their puppy and they're like, yeah. like you lose them on the first day. Like you never yeah. get started with them, you know, or, or they go into the relationship with like a, a negative connotation. And maybe that increases the threat response that we were just talking about. Right. Maybe now you're the threat response as a coach and that's going to be problematic for any, any relationship or any sessions that you have moving forward. That's, right. that's a super good point. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Um, where it's just, yeah, building confidence with people, you know, it's just like being, you know, being complimentary, kind of going along with the story they're telling themselves, you know, yeah. at least like verbally, and, and then just like working with them, you know, and seeing what happens, you know, and, and kind of building that familiarity is huge. Right. For sure. For sure. So no, I, I, I like that. That's a very, that's a super valid point. Um, yeah. So as you're growing, you know, you're, you're, you're at one, you're at one person with somebody on the way, you know, we're, we're looking to expand more. Is this business going to be completely brick and mortar? Or are you also going to look into building like a remote online side of things, potentially even bringing in like, cause you do have access to nutrition, which is fantastic. Right. Is there even like, are there plans down the road to be able to like provide like, like full holistic services to people? Yeah. So the biggest plans for the future is definitely to create a facility and to always have referral options that I really trust that can help us in different avenues. And Erin definitely sees a lot of my clients. She ends up being able to send a lot of people in here. Um, she has a very wide reach because she could see all of her clients virtually, especially mm -hmm. in the pandemic. Um, I definitely enjoy and appreciate the one-on-one -on -one, hands-on experience for the people that come in and are in pain. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I definitely do personal training and strength conditioning with clients, but where our value is and where we spend our time educating ourselves is with the in-person, you know, getting out of some sort of chronic pain um, school of thought. So it's not that we are not open to more of the online training, but to best leverage the skills that we have and the people that I'll hire in the future, we're going to keep a very local focus. 
-hmm. Now, along with that, I would say it's difficult to treat someone uh, with rehabilitation online, and I don't do yeah. it very often, but in terms of educating other professionals on things that we're using that they can apply to their own practice, or if they're looking to open an out-of-network clinic, or if they're you know, looking to take different continuing education options, I've put a lot of focus there more recently. So when I was starting my own my own clinic, it was 100% focused on the clinic. And I never thought that I was going to be the person that was offering another biomechanics course. Like I said, I'm never going to do that in a million years. Um, I love the in-person setting. I love the in-person physical therapy. But what really compelled me to start to do that was, so I've known about PRI for a very long time. I've taken a bunch of different kind of adjacent schools of thought. Um, and I saw more and more people online that were getting very confused about which thing they should pursue more and then even more confused about the application of how to use them, which is exactly the conversation that we were just having. But even worse than that, I saw PRI, the Institute specifically, which I've you know, been involved with for about eight years now. Um, I have my certification through them. They were really starting to get a bad name that I thought was incredibly unjustifiable and it really bothered me and I also saw a lot of clinicians that were misapplying the concepts that I knew that could be helpful with something like using inappropriate language telling someone that they're asymmetrical telling someone that their degenerated disc was going to end their life and I knew that the institute was not trying to bring out that message mm -hmm. and again I saw another opportunity to take clinicians that were have either taken a few PRI courses specifically and didn't know whether they could go to different models or take a different kind of course or you know learn about some other new methodology and i think there's a lot of clinicians out there right now that know a little bit a surface level knowledge on a bunch of different kinds of methods but don't know a lot about one particular method mm -hmm. and especially early on in my career all of the coaches and physical therapists that i talked to warned me against going too deep down the rabbit hole of one system and you know only doing one type of approach and getting very dogmatic in what i did and i think the truth is it's the responsibility of the individual to be able to not let themselves be overly dogmatic mm -hmm. but i was wasting my time taking a bunch of different but very similar and adjacent courses and not getting a lot out of all of them individually so with the online course that I'm doing, which has the goal of teaching PRI specifically and having the students of it take more PRI courses specifically, not you know, banishing them from taking anything else, mm -hmm. but I think it's incredibly valuable to learn a lot about one particular area for a long period of time and then passing your judgments on its efficacy after, while also having tools in place to monitor yourself to not let yourself get overly dogmatic or use harmful language or harm your clients in some other sort of way. So what we're doing right now from an online perspective is this solidified program, which is designed for the person that probably has some PRI exposure, might be questioning themselves if they should be doing more of it, has probably read some things on the internet that's saying that PRI specifically is the worst thing in the world, has maybe met some person who took one PRI course and they hate the way that they apply it. And I'm trying to bring a lot of truth to all of those areas, very similar to this conversation that we're having, applying the soft skills that they don't get the opportunity to teach in the courses because it's very di uh, 
didactic and it's very information based. Mm -hmm teaching clinicians those soft skills so that they can apply the information at the same time so that they do it in a very ethical and successful way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a huge thing. Right. And, and, and again, like the internet is always the place where it's like, um, it's a place without context is what we always like to call it. Right. Where there's like somebody shares an idea, somebody shares, an exercise, a drill, an intervention, you know, whatever. And, and it's meant for like an educational purpose. And, but from a contextual, you know, scenario, like people are watching that or reading it or, or looking at it and, and they're, they're seeing an application, but they're not seeing the why behind the application oftentimes. Right. And, uh, and I think that's where social media actually does a disservice to a lot of these systems. And because again, it's like, and this was long before I think PRI, like this, this is every system ever, right? Like you, people would, you know, go to trainers, go to a seminar and rewrite their entire training philosophy based mm -hmm. on like a three-day kettlebell cert or right. something, right? Where you're just like, oh, like it's everything else. It's baby out with the, you know, the bathwater where it's like everything I knew is like dumb. And now I've got this new tool and I'm only going to use this new tool. Right. So I, I do think it's one of those things where if, if you are going to go down, you know, any rabbit hole, like that's fine, you know, and I think people can be as specific as they want to be. Cause at the end of the day, like we're all just individuals trying to get better. You know, that's, that's what I, you know, hope is a lot of, you know, education and it kind of like, we all want to serve the people that we work with, but it is, it's always, like you said, it's always going to be up to the individual or up to the practitioner to portray things the right way and express their intentions the right way and, and use things appropriately. And, Unfortunately, regardless if you're talking about PRI or FRC or FMS or whatever, you're always going to have some people who sell it, whatever it may be, through nocebo or, or through like faulty language. And that's, that's not a system problem. That's kind of a person problem, you yeah. know, more, more often than not in my experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. It's, uh, again, it, it's up to the individual. And it's really, it's a confidence problem too. Like mm -hmm. if you're having to, you know, use like nocebic language in order to get someone in the door, then it probably means that you don't know whatever specific methods that you're using well enough to apply them in a way that you know them so well that you don't have to overly explain them to get any sort of buy-in. And that's like a specific level of mastery that takes a long time and a lot of reps to get to in a bunch of different contexts. So I, I think you're absolutely right. No, for sure. So we are, we're running up on our hour. So I do want to, we branched into probably a, a little bit, but I do want to get into our one scripted question. Yes, uh, so the only at, one that we ever have. The only one that we have. Uh, so as you get into, again, this might be in person, you know, based on the, the environments you've worked with. It might be what you see online. It might be just what you've experienced through your education what are the things that you see that kind of grind your gears that you wish you could just kind of fundamentally change, you know, with what you're doing currently and what you, what you have for the future? Yeah. So on social media specifically, and it's kind of built for this, so it's tricky, but it's that quick emotional response or quick emotional reaction without taking into account the, the context of something. So, you know, somebody sees a very 
emotionally charged post and then gets very mad at the person that posted it um, and gets really upset and then starts to tear that person down, um, you can often lose the message that's behind what that person is trying to do. And the truth is, just like you would do in a training program with a client, um, you have to periodize your own information intake. And you have to do things in a progressive way over a long period of time before you can judge something. And the truth is, you know, in our careers as clinicians and as coaches, we don't have all that long of a career trajectory to really have true mastery over that many different things. But it's incredibly detrimental if just like a, if a client were to hop on different programs and to not finish them all the way through, um, the same thing can happen with a, um, with a continuing education cert or a course or a new book that you're reading or anything like that. So being able to stay the course and to not be perturbed by the noise that is social media or the industry or your friends or whatever um, is definitely the direction that we need to go in. And is one of the things too, you know, since I was trained as a physical therapist in school, we didn't have a lot of strength conditioning uh, coursework. Like we didn't talk about periodization or progressive overload or any of these things. So when I finished my baseball career and I started to train a lot more on my own personally and did programs like mass and mass two and like just regular strength training programs that had ups and downs and were 16 weeks long. And, you know, you, you had to go through a lot to get to the end of those feeling that in my body helped me a lot from like a education standpoint. Um, understand what I was trying to do and more importantly, what it took to get there. Mm -hmm. I like that. I think that's a good answer. And, and, you know, that's definitely something where social media is, you know, got to be tricky for most people because it is, it's not an education platform, right? It's, it's an attention platform more so than anything else. And that's yeah. something that I, that I, I know that, you know, I struggle with personally where it's, you know, I always struggle with how much information to put out. And what's actually useful for people, you know, because it, it's definitely a situation where it's like, I can write up the best thing ever and nobody reads it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I can post a few exercises with no context at all. And it, you know, somehow reaches, you know, 50,000 people, Right. you know, it's just like, okay, like this is just where we're at from that perspective. Um, so as we're closing up, um, yeah, just like, where can everybody find you? Like, what's the, the social media? What's the website? You've already kind of talked about your location for anybody local, but if you want to give anybody, you know, more information from that perspective. Um, yep. Yeah, so the, the clinic is um, outside of Boston. It's in a town called Wellesley, Massachusetts. It's probably like 20 minutes from, mm -hmm. from Boston. So anyone in the Massachusetts area, uh, we'd love to have you. The name of the clinic is Divergence Physical Therapy and Wellness. Uh, website is Divergence PT and Wellness. Dot com. Um, my personal Instagram is Mike DeMille DPT. That's where I talk a lot about the client or the clinician rather education mm -hmm. programs that I do. Mm -hmm. um, the next one's starting up in October. So I'm really excited to run that. Um, and you can find most of my information on those two, on those two platforms. So the divergence facility and then Mike DeMille DPT is the, is the personal page. So that's where people can find me. We're going to have a lot of exciting things coming out this fall. Perfect, man. Well, I'm happy for you just kind of seeing the journey from, you know, the distance, you know, after, after meeting you, like I said, I mean, it's probably been almost four years at this point. So it's been, yeah, it was like 2018 that I, yeah, that was a long time. It, it, it's been a while, you know, so definitely enjoy you coming on and um, 
yeah, we hope to, I'm excited to see what's, what's happening moving forward. Awesome. Yeah, it's great to meet you, man. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me guys. Thank you for tuning in to compound performance radio. If you liked this episode, please be sure to like share, subscribe, and drop us a review. We'll see you next time.